0: Welcome to the Horizon Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our mission as a church is to win people to Jesus Christ, disciple people in Jesus Christ, and send people for Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. We hope this episode encourages you in your walk with Jesus as you continue to grow in his love and truth. Now, let's join Pastor Bob as we study God's word together.
1: Are you guys good? You good in your cars? Are you good out there on the grass? Yes! So awesome to find a church that is open for business. Come on, someone say amen. Good having you with us this morning, church. If you have a Bible, grab your Bibles with me. Turn to the book of Hebrews. Just want to encourage your hearts this morning. Spend a few moments together in God's word and have an amazing story for you out of the pages of scripture. And we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 goes along with our series, Victory in the Valley. In fact, it's sort of a summation or review of so many stories throughout Scripture that would have exactly that theme in common, victory in the valley. And then next weekend, we've got another amazing amazing valley story for you to enjoy. So just a little spoiler alert, one of the best ones I think in the Bible waiting for you uh, next weekend. Uh, Second only to this weekend, one of my favorite stories in all of the scriptures is the one I want to share with you today. But look at verse 30 in Hebrews chapter 11. And Lord, as we open your word We pray for each person that's here, that's watching online from home or traveling on vacation from across the state and around the country, other countries around the world. Would you unite us on this backfield by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit and speak your truth into our hearts today. For your glory in Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen, church. Amen. Look at verse 30, Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they were encircled for seven days, and by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms and worked righteousness and obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions and quenched the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword And out of weakness, y'all seeing that? Say weakness with me. Out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Well, what a privilege for us to gather together and be reminded of these stories. That when we find ourselves in a valley... There is victory. There is victory promised for the people of God. So hang in there, church. You are never the minority. God might be testing us right now. Let's test trust positive. I want to test faith positive. And that's what all of these people of faith have in common in the book of Hebrews. And one that stands out for us to look at together this morning, has to be this amazing guy that's mentioned in verse 32. His name is Gideon. And he actually is the one who's described here at the end of verse 34 as turning to flight the armies of the aliens. That's always grabbed my attention. And I love this story of Gideon. So Let's look at it together, because he certainly is a guy in Scripture who has his back against the wall, feels as if he's in a room where the walls are sort of closing in on him, and God's up to something big in his life that we could learn from together. So turn with me to the book of Judges. Would you find Judges, chapter 7 in the Old Testament, and let's... Be reminded for a few minutes, and maybe some of you are here today and you go, I already know the story of Gideon. May it be fresh and new, a perspective that what God would do through this story that would speak into your circumstance today, that would speak into the situations that you might find yourself being challenged with even this morning. In fact, while you're turning to Judges chapter 7 Uh, While you're finding that together, I don't know if anyone remembers this theme song, but I grew up at a time of history where we didn't have quite as many channels on the television that we have now. We had these rabbit ear antennas. But one cartoon that I found myself pretty intrigued by and turning into regularly kids. Do you know what it was? It was called Underdog. Sound guy, would you play the theme song for me? There it is. Does anyone remember the theme song of Underdog? When criminals in this world appear and break the laws that they should fear and frighten
0: all who see or hear, the cry goes up both far and near for Underdog! 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 underdog. Woo!
1: Of lightning,
0: roar of thunder, all who rob or
1: plunder, Gotta love it. Remember that guy? I mean, we, we love the underdog. As a nation, we just celebrated the fact that as the underdogs, we whooped the British butts, sent them back across the Atlantic in their boats. We love to celebrate the underdog it's it's in our blood as a nation we love our rocky movies we love rudy we love the u.s olympic hockey team from 1980 weren't supposed to win came home with the gold medal but what we love the most church i gotta tell you thank god for this breeze We love the fact that God loves the underdog. Can you say amen to that this morning? We love the fact that God loves the underdog, and certainly Gideon is a perfect example of that. It's an example that God doesn't call the equipped. I mean, he equips the ones that he calls. You're not looking down on Gideon and saying, There's the obvious choice of the leader of Israel to take them into battle against an army too numerous to count. He wouldn't be your first choice. But we have a God, church, who celebrates with us the victory that's available for the underdog. So Gideon is sort of the combination of the Karate Kid, the Rocky movies, Rudy, who we all love, David and Goliath, spoiler alert, that's where we're headed next weekend. All rolled up into one Baal fighting machine because God is with him, and if God is with you, who could be against you? In fact, he gets a new name, Gideon does. Look at chapter 7. Judges chapter 7, verse 1, it says, then Jerobal or Baal or Baal, Jerubal. That's Gideon's new name. Look at the parentheses. That is Gideon. He just got a new name. What's his new name mean? Jeroboam, Baal, or Baal, was the god of the Midianites. And Jaru would mean to contend with, or to strive with, or to fight with, or to slay. He's the Baal slayer. He's the underdog that ends up kicking Baal's butt. I don't know about you, but that fires me up on this Sunday morning. Gideon's new name, hashtag, Jeroboam, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod. So the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morea in the valley. So here we go. He's in a valley, but he's about to see an amazing Victory that God brings about in his life. Look at verse two. And the Lord said to Gideon, now listen, don't, don't, don't miss, I think this is one of the most insightful, contemporarily relevant verses in all of the scripture for us right now, church. God's gonna speak into your life through this verse. Look what he says to Gideon in verse two. The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Why? Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now just stop right there for a second and soak that in. Because it's speaking into your circumstance. And Maybe as a nation we were getting a little too cocky Maybe as a nation we forgot the founding principles of the roots and, 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 and beginnings of faith upon which this nation was founded. Maybe with a booming economy, we got a little too big for our britches. Maybe God is saying to us in our circumstance what he is saying to Gideon in his circumstance. Now he's really up against it and so are we. I feel for a lot of you, our church is challenged with the challenging times that you're faced with that we're all faced with. And yet God speaks to Gideon and says, there's too many of you. I'm going to prune things down. I'm going to trim things up. I'm going to put some things on pause. I'm going to cause for there to be a condition placed upon you that would bring you back to me instead of thinking that you've pulled it all off on your own. That's what the Lord is saying. And you can't help but sort of begin to rethink and imagine what God is saying to you in the midst of this pandemic. What God is saying to you in the midst of this circumstance and all that comes against you. Now, what's coming against Midian? 135,000. You're like, Bob, where do you get that number? Oh, you got to fast forward just for a moment with me into chapter eight to find that number. Look in chapter eight that then gives a little bit of a context presently to which Gideon finds himself faced with, but it also gives you a little sum, a summary of of what's been accomplished in chapter 7 in, 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 in Judges chapter 8, look at verse 10. Now, Zeba and Zalmunna were at Kakor, and the armies were with them about 15,000. Okay, that's what they would have been challenged and faced with in chapter 8, but look what's been accomplished prior to that, that's summed up there in verse 10. It says this it says, All who were left, of all the army of the people of the east for a hundred and twenty thousand men who drew the sword had fallen. That's who Gideon has now been contending with in his battle against Baal, Baal, and the people that are worshiping him, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people from the east, and yet God says to him, look back again with me in chapter seven, verse two, in spite of the fact that that army of 135,000, I'm still saying something, Gideon, into your circle, there's too many of you guys, lest when you go about this whole thing, you'll claim the glory for yourself instead of giving the glory to God, That just, I don't know, causes us to imagine what God is really up to in the midst of what he providentially has allowed to take place in our lives the last several months. Suffice it to say, regardless of that, there's a victory waiting for you in the valley that you're in. Look at verse 3. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever's fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. So, if you're not feeling it, if you're not enjoying it, if you don't want to be a part of it, if you're fearful, if you're afraid, exit stage right. And I think Gideon at that moment thought, This is my opportunity to slip away, because we know he was fearful we know that he was afraid. We could call him, very correctly, a coward. In fact, look back in chapter 6 with me for a second. Judges chapter 6 tells us a little bit about this guy and what he's faced with in terms of how ruthless this enemy really was. In fact, look at verse 3. So it was that whenever Israel had sown, and that isn't like sewing a dress or putting a him on a pair of pants. It's sowing your fields. It's planting and harvesting your crops. And every time they did it, the Midianites would come up. Also the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. And they would encamp against them. And they would destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza. In fact, In other words, as far as they could go because Gaza would take them all the way to the Mediterranean Sea and they left no sustenance for Israel, not even a sheep or an ox or a donkey for they would come up with their livestock and their tents coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels are without number and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished. Food stamps, you guys. Unemployment. You guys, welfare checks. Impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. That sets the context for you. And you know now who shows up. But it's interesting for us to see where he shows up. Where does Gideon first show up? Look at verse 11 in Judges chapter 6. Now the angel of the Lord, you got that? Don't miss this, because angel is capitalized. It's not just any angel. It's the angel of the Lord. This would be a theophany. This is what we would call an appearance of Jesus Christ himself prior to his birth in Bethlehem. Like he showed up on the banks of the Jordan for Joshua. He shows up here to encourage the heart of a pretty nervous cat by the name of Gideon. It is capital A, the angel of the Lord, who is here with us this morning. For wherever two or three are gathered in his name, there he is. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you even till the end of the age this faithfulness of Jesus now appears at the side of a coward named Gideon who's actually threshing wheat, verse 11 tells us. But he's threshing wheat in the most peculiar of places. He's threshing wheat in a wine press, which would be underground, which would be down in the basement, which would be in a dungeon, which is where you'd prepare the grapes, where you'd ferment the wine, where you'd keep it cool in the shade, and the wheat would be threshed in the opposite location up on a hill where the breeze, thank the Lord for this breeze, would help to separate the wheat from the chaff. But this guy knows the ruthless army of the Midianites that's plundering their harvest and destroying their fields and so he is threshing the wheat in a secret place downstairs. And I wonder actually how many times I wonder how many times in my fear, in my nervousness, in my timidity, I wonder if you ever wonder how many times we're actually dividing the wheat downstairs when we're supposed to be making the wine. And yet in the midst of that, this angel shows up and says what to Gideon? He says the most amazing thing to him. He says this, Gideon, the Lord is with you you mighty man of valor. He didn't see him limited by the condition or situation or circumstance or valley that he found himself in in the moment. He saw him victoriously. Hallelujah. This mighty man of valor. He saw him with the potential of who he can be because who now is at his side? Who's with him? And... I find that to be most assuring this morning as a word of comfort that God is with us, that he's by our side, that he'll never abandon us, he'll never leave us, he'll, he'll never forsake us. So even though you might feel as if numbers are shrinking around you, if God is with you, you're never the minority. He might be testing your faith in this period of challenge, pandemic, but he's up to something great and victorious on our behalf. And so when the Lord says, you got too many guys on your team, I think Gideon was hoping he could get out of the challenge he could wiggle out of the responsibilities. It's sort of like that classic line from the movie, Three Amigos, right? When there's Steve Martin and Chevy Chase and Martin Short and they're attacking the enemy and they yell out, drop your guns. And one of the three amigos drops his guns. Steve Martin drops his guns. And the other two guys have to say, not you, Dusty. And he's like, oh, not, and he pulls. this is Gideon, he's wanting to get out of it. And yet God's saying, Not you, Dusty. Not you. I know you're fearful. I know you're timid. I know you're crazy scared. You're a guy who's threshing the weed in the basement where the wine is stored. But I'm with you. And I'm going to give you the victory. And he begins to whittle down the size of Gideon's army so all that the glory would ultimately go to the Lord Most High. He says... Hey, Gideon, turn back to chapter 7. He says, if they're fearful and afraid, go ahead and dismiss them. And 22,000 of the people returned home and 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon again, too many, still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. And so he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, set him apart by himself and likewise everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped putting their hand to their mouth was 300. 300 that when they got down being thirsty, didn't forget the fact that they were surrounded by an enemy, drank while they were watching, as opposed to those in their thirst that just buried their face in the water. And God said, now I have separated unto you the 300 men on the team that I'm going to give you the victory through where this valley and formidable opposition that surrounds you is concerned. I will accomplish it for my glory through these 300. Look at verse six. The number of those who lapped putting their hand to the mouth was 300 men and all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. I don't know if you're doing the math. We started with 32,000 on Gideon's team We are now down to less than 1%. But you, my friend, dear brothers and sisters, can do more with less than 1% if God's on your team than you could ever do with 32,000 where God's not at your side. You're never in the minority when the Lord is with you. Test, trust positive where that's concerned. Test, faith positive where that's concerned concerned. The Lord said to Gideon in verse 7, by the 300 men who lapped I will save you. I'll deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. And so the people took provisions, their trumpets in their hands, and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and he retained those 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him In the valley, what a startling imagery we get out of scripture where God intentionally, you guys, intentionally is reducing things in Gideon's life. There isn't a person listening to me right now that doesn't know what that feels like. You have seen things over the course of the last four months dry up on the vine You've seen God providentially in your life, let's just speak into it for a moment. Reduce things where your business is concerned. Reduce things where your client is concerned. Reduce things where sales are concerned. Reduce things where attendance, even at church, is concerned. Reduce things where our school is concerned. Reduce things everywhere that could be reduced are being reduced. Maybe you're experiencing your business reduced, your income reduced, your health reduced, but maybe God's up to something. Maybe in all of that reduction, and yeah, I'm giving it the thumbs down, I totally feel you, but maybe in the midst of seeing things reduced, God is using it to see something increase. What is he wanting to see increased in Gideon? because what he's wanting to see increased in Gideon is exactly what he's wanting to see increased in you, and it's trust, it's faith, it's obedience, and it's dependency. Trusting and depending upon him, a total reliance that although other things might be decreasing, the things that matter the most are actually on the rise. You've never prayed like you've been praying since the first week of March. You've never been trusting God with your business and marriage and family and your kids and their business and, 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 and family. You've, you've never been out on the limb like you're out on the limb right now. And that trust and that faith and that dependency is ultimately God's aim and goal. And the vehicle that he puts us in in order to achieve that goal is the same vehicle he puts Gideon in. It's a vehicle called weakness. Remember in Hebrews chapter 11? The ones who find the victory in the valley were those that although being weak were made strong. It's exactly what the Lord says to the apostle Paul when after three times Paul comes before the Lord and says, Remove this plague. Remove this thorn. Remove this infirmity. Remove this limitation. And God says, I'm not going to remove it, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you that although you see some things that are diminishing and decreasing, there's some things that are actually on the upswing Rising to the occasion, my grace is sufficient and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. It causes for you and for me, I pray this morning, to rethink what God is accomplishing on our behalf in the midst of the things we find challenged by and faced with. That self-sufficiency clearly is not the goal. Trust is the goal. Trust was the goal when Jesus met with Gideon down in the basement when he's threshing wheat in the wine press. And he shows up, the angel of the Lord, and says, the Lord is with you, Gideon. I don't know about you, that would have been enough to keep me going for another five years. The Lord is with you, man. And yet Gideon, in the midst of that encounter, feels like he needs more evidence And says to the angel, hey, would you make a deal with me? Promise me this. Read it later if you want. I don't have time. He says, "Um, make a deal with me. Stay right there. Don't leave. Let me go prepare a feast. And the the angel says, have at it in the kitchen, man. Go prepare the feast. And we're told that Gideon goes and he prepares a goat. And he brings the goat to the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord, looking at the feast that Gideon has prepared, says, go ahead, lay that feast out. Lay it out on the rock. And then the angel of the Lord takes the staff that's in his hand. Do you remember this? He takes the staff that's in his hand, touches the rock, and the whole feast gets consumed. The whole thing incinerates. The goat blows up. Nobody eats the meal. I don't know if that means God doesn't like goat. I think that's what it means because later at the end of the story, we're told that he separates the sheep from the goats and the goats don't get in. So Gideon prepares a goat and the goat incinerates on the spot and the angel disappears. I don't know about you. That would have been enough to get me going another three years. So you have this encounter of Jesus showing up in his basement saying, God is with you, you mighty man of valor. Okay, let's go to, no, 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 let's actually talk further about it. Let me prepare a goat and we'll have a feast. Boom, the goat disappears, incinerates on the spot and blows up. But that's not enough for Gideon. He needs more evidence. He wants more proof. And he says to God, if you could just do this for me, I just want to make sure that you're really who you say you are. Could you make all of the ground wet, but keep the fleece dry? And God is so patient with our process, you guys. He says, if that's what you need for me to do for you, I'll make all the ground wet and the fleece dry for you, Gideon. But that's still not enough for this fraidy cat. Still not enough for this underdog. He, he actually says to the Lord, he says, could you do it again? But this time, do it in reverse. Make the fleece wet and all the ground around it dry. And the Lord's like, whatever you need me f- to do for you, Gideon, I've, I've already shown up for you in the basement. I showed up in the dungeon. I told you that I was with you. I blew up the meal before you. I've done the fleece thing. I mean, how long, church? How long are we going to continue to test him instead of trust him? And yet God is faithful and merciful and patient with us in the process. In fact, so patient is God with Gideon that he shows him even another sign. He gives him a dream to actually eavesdrop on in the middle of the valley down in the Midianite camp. Look at verse nine. And it happened the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I've delivered it into your hand. But if you're afraid, there's calling a spade a spade. There's the Lord calling him out. You keep asking me to do stuff for you, Gideon. When are you going to finally trust me instead of keep testing me? But if you're afraid to do it, why don't you go ahead and, I don't know, do it at night but no one's going to see you. And not not only that, do it with a friend. Take a buddy with you. But I want you to go down there, and I want you to overhear a dream that I'm going to give to one of these Midianites. Go down against the camp. So he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. Their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. I'm in verse 13. Look what it says. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion who said, I had a dream, and to my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp. Craziest of all dreams. I know, nuts. A loaf of barley bread came tumbling down, into the camp of the Midianites, came to a tent, struck it so that it fell and overturned, the whole tent collapsed. And his companion answered and said, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel, into his hand. God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshiped the Lord You're like, are you with me? You're like, finally. You know, he's got the glass up against the side of the tent. He hears the dream. He saw the fleece. He turned the fleece over. He saw it again. The goat's blown up. The encounter with the angel in the dungeon. Finally, he worships. Why is that so often, even in the midst of a pandemic, our last resort? Make it your first move this week. As you've started this week with the Lord in celebration and fellowship, so may it continue each day of the week to come. That's all we've got. Worship him. Trust him. Believe him for the victory he wants to bring in your valley. Finally, we see in the passage that Gideon gets to a point of honoring and worshiping the Lord as he deserves to be honored and worshiped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and he said, Arise, guys, arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. We finally see, right there, a little confidence in our boy, a little courage. He liked the dream. He seemed to like the dream more than the fleece thought maybe that was more of a magic trick he liked the dream more than his goat meal blowing up on the plate he he liked the dream and now he has his sights set on the victory that God has promised since the beginning of the story to accomplish on behalf of Gideon the butt kicker of Baal let's get it into motion finally church where we're worshiping him first and not as the last resort. We're giving him the glory and allowing for him to be the one to give us the victory that he's promised all along. So he rallies the troops and he says, we're going up against them, you guys. I know, I know, I know we have less than 1% than what we started with, but we got God on our side. Yeah, I know, I know. I know they got 135,000 on their team. But we've got the Lord. And, and all of the, the army begin to look at Gideon as their newfound leader. Their courageous commander. They're seeing a new side of Gideon. And they probably say something to him like this. We need a mascot. We need a mascot to take us into battle. Gideon, what's our mascot going to be? I don't know. How about a bear? We need a big bear. We need a lion. We need a lion of the tribe. of we, we need bows and arrows. They don't get any bows and arrows for this. They don't get a lion for this. They don't get a bear for this. What's our mascot going to be, Gideon? How about a big boulder? Should be a big boulder that rolls down and destroys that camp of enemy down in the valley. No, no. What's the mascot? It's a loaf of bread. It's a loaf of barley bread, which was the grain of the peasant. Are you getting the picture? Who's our mascot gonna be, Gideon? Um, We're the muffins. We're the underdogs. We're the cupcakes. Because the moral of the story and the point of the whole pandemic is simply this, church. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's not about you and I being in the spotlight. It's about putting him in the spotlight. It's about you, Jesus. It's about the bread of life being the mascot. It's about giving him the glory for the victory that he's going to accomplish in us and through us and for us for the battle has already been won. Your your sins forgiven and, and, and removed your name written in the book of life. He's conquered death. We don't fight hoping for a victory. We fight from the victory that he has already accomplished for us. The mascot we have confidently is a mascot that puts the spotlight on the fact that it's not about us. We're a bunch of doughboys. It's about him. It's about him and him alone. Well, let's wrap up. You know the rest of this story. You know how it goes down, but let me just remind you of it real quick. In verse 16, he divides the 300 into three companies which isn't a bad move to take whatever you have and make it look bigger than it actually is. He splits them up into three companies he does in verse 16. Put a trumpet into every man's hand, empty pitchers, and a torch inside the pitchers. Now here's a little insight. I don't know if I'm right or not, but there doesn't seem to be any indication in the Scripture that God told him to do that. I think he's just getting inventive right now. I think he's getting creative right now. Maybe you found yourself having to think outside the box in the midst of this pandemic. We certainly have where church is concerned. We're doing drive-in services. We're doing picnics on the backfield. He's looking at what he has available. He's like, what do we got? Oh, we got trumpets. Grab the trumpets. What else we got? Uh, we got some torches. Grab the torches." It's not that God so much is telling him specifically how to go about this. It's that he's realizing the crisis that he's in breeds new invention. We're thinking about school in a way we've never thought about school before. And yet he's thinking correctly because the trumpet throughout the ages would always point to a regiment or an army, it would point to a battalion when you would hear that doo 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 we're all living right now in the midst of a valley pandemic believing God for the victory and the victory will come when we hear the sound of the, of the trumpet Gideon's like we got trumpets that'll work what else we got torches the torch would also remind anyone of a troop or a regiment or a battalion that would follow that torch and these empty pitchers I don't know but the moment that they were all shattered at the same time would sound somewhat resembling that of a bunch of swords being pulled out of their sheath. Suffice it to say, he's taking what he has available to him. He's thinking outside the box. He's coming up with ideas, and he's putting them in the hands of the people. He's saying to them in verse 18, when I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say this, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Can I remind you of something that's obvious in the story? That's the only sword they had and that's the only sword they needed. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Probably had a bunch of guys in that camp of 300 that were like, sword, where's the sword? All I got was a torch and a trumpet and an empty pitcher. You have one sword. It's open on your lap right now. It is the sword of the spirit. It's the word of God. And it's all you need to go up against the enemy and win the victory in Jesus' name. They had one sword, the sword of the spirit. Which is the word of God, and they declared it out loud. They declared it as a whole camp. Let's declare it. Say it with me. The sword of the Lord. Come on, everyone. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And so Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch. That's fascinating, some guys have just clocked out, some guys are just clocking in. There's a confusion and overlap of the shift change, and Gideon again is using every possible means available to him to his advantage to see the victory happen as God had promised and declared. When they posted the watch, they blew the trumpets. When they posted the watch, they broke the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers and held the torches in their left hand and the trumpets in their right hand. And they cried the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp. And the whole army ran. That's the Midianites on the run. No one's even fighting yet. They're just on the run, crying out. And they fled. Look how far they fled. Skip down to verse 24. Let's wrap this up. The band's going to come out and we'll end with a time of worshiping together that our God is able, but don't miss this clutch point at the end of the story of Gideon. Maybe you've never seen it before. Let me connect the dots for you. In verse 24, Gideon sent messengers throughout all the mountains of Ephraim saying, you guys got to get in on this. There is victory in the valley. Come down against the Midianites. Seize them from the watering places as far as Beth Barah and the Jordan. Beth Barah, just circle that, underline that for a second. So significant is that that the writer of Judges here for us is going to say it again. Whenever the Lord says it back to back numerous times, I think he's wanting it to stand out and make a point in our hearts and lives. So let's end with this. Beth Barah is mentioned again at the end of verse 24. It says, Then all the men of Ephraim gathered together and said, They, they, they seized the watering place as far as Beth Barah and the Jordan. Beth Barah. Beth in Hebrew, house. Like Bethlehem, house of bread. Beth-Lahem. Beth Barah, house, Barah. House of the ford, house of the crossing house of that place in the valley where the river was shallow enough for you to make a break for it and cross over to the other side. This word Beth Barah is only mentioned two times in Scripture. Right here, Judges 7, mentioned twice in one verse here in Judges 7 and only mentioned one other time in all of the Bible. You know when that is? (laughs) I'm going to tell you. It's in John chapter 1 where something incredibly significant was happening. It's where John the Baptist was baptizing people. It was a place of crossing over. In John chapter one, we're told that John baptized at Beth Barah, across the Jordan, in the very same spot many commentators and theologians believe, where Gideon experienced the victory in his valley. Maybe for you today right now is your Beth Barah, your place of crossing over. I had two men come to me after the 9 o'clock service this morning and said, it's time for us to cross over. Would you baptize us in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Maybe he's stirring in your heart right now in the midst of the valley that you're faced in to look to him for the victory that he has promised to accomplish on your behalf. Traditionally, we're told that the very same spot where John was baptizing is where Jesus showed up obediently and surrendered his life to the ministry that was before him and heard a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son and a dove representing the Holy Spirit that came and descended upon him. We're told that that is the very spot in which Gideon experienced the victory and the very same spot where Joshua would lead the people out of the wilderness and into the promised land and face together in Beth Barah, the city across the shore waiting for them that was about to tumble and crumble, that being Jericho. Maybe the walls are about to fall for you. Maybe the victory is just a prayer away. Maybe you and I could take this familiar story of Gideon and apply it into our circumstance so that God would exceedingly abundantly be allowed to do more than we could ever ask or think because it isn't your weaknesses that trip him up. It's your strength, thinking you don't need God. Maybe you're continuing to test God instead of trust God. Maybe it's time just to bring to him, like Gideon does, all of your shortcomings, all of your brokenness. You know, if you bring God your brokenness, you're giving him more pieces to work with. If there was a kryptonite that holds God back, and nothing holds him back, I know he's all powerful. You don't have to email me. But if there was one thing that holds him back, it's not your weakness. The kryptonite that seems to paralyze God from being all-powerful in our life is our strength of thinking we don't need him. Would you pray with me? Lord, help us to never be that strong. May we continue to rejoice in being the underdog because you love the underdog. Weakness wins in Jesus' name. Hooray for Team Barley. Gideon is given the victory for the glory of God because he put his faith and trust. He surrendered and allowed the bread of life to be his mascot. At least he did so until, as many of you know, in the very next chapter, he outgrew his weaknesses thought he was successful and the tables turned and there's an amazing verse that says the people of Israel did not deal kindly with Gideon or his family. So how about this church? How about we stay dependent? How about we stay weak so God can be strong? Because then and only then we will see the victory. Lord may we not be so down that we don't look up. And may we not be so up that we think we're above you because it's only through you, it's only with you that we are made more than conquerors. Would you cement that into our spirit and soul, into our life? Lord, drill it into our hearts and our minds today that you are a God who is faithful. You are a God who is able to bring victory in the valley, and we praise you for that today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen.
0: Thanks for joining the Horizon Church Podcast with Pastor Bob. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast channel. And if this message has blessed you, please share it either directly or on social media. If you live in the San Diego area, we'd love to have you join us at a weekend service. Or to catch our live stream, visit horizon.org live every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next time.